A reading from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a 100 years old and the sinner a 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing in Anani near Siloam because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. 
Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear wit me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Holy Father, we do pray on this day that we would have, uh, through your spirit, an attitude like your servant John, that we would receive uh, what comes from heaven, that we would decrease, Lord, so that you may increase. Grow us, Lord, uh, through your spirit. May we know your grace and may we know your hope. We ask this uh, again in your holy name, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, so this past week, I was out uh, with a, uh, a friend of mine, a member of our church, Justin Van Ningen, and we were talking about different things, and we were in a place where there was music playing. We suddenly heard a song, and uh, Justin had to stop, and he said, this song is by Kansas, he said, which is my parents' favorite band. And uh, I said, well, Kansas, I said, wasn't there a member of Kansas who became a Christian and was very sort of outspoken about his conversion to Christ? And Justin, you know Justin, he is encyclopedic in his knowledge of music, and he began to set out for me that there were multiple members of Kansas who became to faith in Christ at different times, and so he gave me sort of the story of each one and the instruments they played, and so I learned a lot about Kansas, which I love. I love uh, talking about music. Uh, but um, one of those people who did come to faith in Jesus uh, as a uh, member of that band named Carrie Livgren. Um, and uh, he wrote a song, which you may have heard, called Dust in the Wind, um, a very well-known song. Some of you younger people maybe are saying, I've never heard that song. You've heard it. I promise you, you've heard it somewhere in, in some place. It's a very, uh, again, played song. Uh, but he wrote that a few years before he came to faith in Jesus. And it's interesting to listen to that song, knowing that here is a guy who um, perhaps he didn't know it yet, but he was seeking the Lord. Right? He was seeking for truth and for meaning in life, and you hear him struggling with and wrestling with the seeming meaninglessness of life, the seeming futility of life. So in that song, I'll read you just a few of the lyrics. It says, same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All that we do crumbles to the ground that we refuse to see. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Now don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy. Bleak, yes, and also very Ecclesiastes-esque, if you know the book of Ecclesiastes. Right, clearly, he's, he's wrestling, right? Are we just dust in the wind? Is that all we are? And that sense of futility, I'm sure all of us at times have felt. Maybe you went through a time of spiritual seeking, or maybe it's just in moments where you felt like you've invested in something, you've invested in a person and a, a job, right? And then suddenly it's all gone, right? Maybe you've built and worked on a project and suddenly it's ruined and you have this sense of like, does anything I do even matter? Is it all futile? Right? Maybe you felt that in your prayers and your worship. You know, you've thought like, I worship, I seek the Lord, I pray, does it make any difference? 
right? I'm sure, again, all of us have experienced a sense of futility. Um, now, just a word as we go forward. I struggled this week. Is it futile or is it futile? Um, as I was thinking through this, okay, I looked it up, and this is what the internet told me. It says the UK, the British pronunciation is futile. The American is futile. And so, you know, I always lean British. So I'm going to uh, try to do both. But if I, if I interact them, it's the same word, futile, futile. Um, uh, so schedule, schedule. So anyway, so just be ready for that. Um, getting back to the important things. Um, uh, as we think of this futility, imagine what it would have been like for the people of Israel, right, the people of Judah, when they were in exile, when they had been taken out, right, by an enemy army, by an enemy group, the Babylonians, and brought into exile, brought out of the promised land, right? And they know, because the Lord told them through the prophets, that this exile was a result of their own sinfulness, a result of the fact that they continued to turn away from the Lord and turn to idols, that they were basically reaping, right, the, the um, consequences of their turning away from the Lord, and imagine the futility that they must have felt in exile, thinking about that the Lord had set them free from Egypt, set their four parents free from slavery in Egypt, had brought them, right, through 40 years of wandering into the promised land, had defeated enemies that they, you know, had no reason in their own power to be able to defeat, that God had defeated. God had brought down the walls of Jericho. He had provided for them, right, over and over again. He had called them back to himself over and over again. But yet finally, right, their sinfulness, their turning away from God resulted in their coming out of the promised land, right, and what they must have felt. Like, was it all for naught, right? All that work that God did for our people, right, does it mean nothing now, right? Maybe they even wondered, like, who are we? Like, what is our identity apart from the land that God put us in? Like, are, who are we anymore? And is it futile to continue to cry out to God, to cry out for his mercy? Have we reached the end of his mercy? Has God given up on us? And that's sort of the worst sense of futility, right? Does nothing I do matter, and is God done with me? Is it all futility? And into that, right, into that sense of futility, into that sense of hopelessness, the Lord spoke to them through his servant Isaiah as he speaks to us today, through his servant Isaiah, right? And these words of Isaiah 65, and this image, this promise that is given, right? Don't give up hope, right? It is not all futile, right? Because here is what is to come. And so I want to consider this image and what's in it, right? This truth, this promise, right? When I say image, I'm not saying it's, it's just a made-up image, right? This is a promise of what is to come and how that speaks to us today, how that helps us in our daily lives to, in a sense, stand against that threat, that fear of futility, how it actually tells us there is meaning, right? Meaning to come, but there is meaning right now in your life. There is purpose in your life and this vision, again, this reality helps us to live into that. So as we consider, right, what Isaiah shares with them, this promise of the Lord, right, I want to note how there's both continuity in this and there's difference, right? Isaiah, again, through the Spirit of God, presents to them this picture of new creation. And again, we can see it's flowing out of current creation, but how different it is. And so the Lord says to them, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The Lord does not say, behold, I create this new place and it's made of clouds, and you'll fly around, and it looks really boring, but actually you're going to be there for all eternity and be happy, right? He didn't say that, right? Our, our vision of heaven, right? And he didn't say, behold, I create a place where you will be disembodied soul, you'll be set free from the body, and you'll float around, and eventually you'll lose all sense of identity, and you'll become part of the cosmic consciousness, right? No. 
He says, I behold, behold, I create new heavens and new earth. I created the heavens and the earth, and now I create new heavens and new earth. There's continuity. There's connection, right? There's a Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth, right? There's uh, buildings that will be built and vineyards that will be planted, right? There are animals. There's family life. There's relationship, right? We see all this continuity, and so, in the second part of verse 17, when it says the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, that doesn't mean you won't remember anything about this current creation. That would make no sense in light of the context, right? Clearly, they will remember. Oh, yeah, it's Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, it's, it's relationships and families. Oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's labor. But rather, it's promising them the former things in the sense of the former pain, the former regret, the former sense of futility. That is what you're going to forget. The despair, that will be gone, and this new heavens and this new earth will be such a redemptive place, such a place of beauty and meaning that you won't even be able to remember the past pain and the past sorrow. That is how much greater, right? That's the weight of glory that's to come. Because again, the Lord wants us to remember. He wants to remember his past faithfulness that gives us the hope and the promise that he will be faithful, right? We just heard in our reading, he is faithful. He will do it. We know that. He has done it before he will do it again. I created the heavens and the earth. I will create new heavens and new earth. Now, as we think of this continuity, as we think of this connection between, again, what's now and what is to come, right? This resurrected creation, it's kind of striking, isn't it? When we get to um, verse 20, that says, no, matter, no, ma- no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die 100 years old and the sinner 100 years old shall be accursed. Right now we can read them, we can say, okay, that's an image of, right, someone that's 100 years old, they're considered a young man, right, or a young woman, right? It's like, oh, 100, you're just getting started, right? And if someone dies at 100, the idea would be like, oh, man, they died at 100, they must be accursed by God. So you can get the imagery, but we may read that and say, okay, well, that's good, but shouldn't there be no death? Right? I mean, in the book of Revelation, or in Revelation 21, where we get a very similar vision of a new heavens and new earth, right? I mean, it's the same promise, right? We're seeing it in a slightly different way. It says very clearly there, death shall be no more, right? And actually, earlier in the book of Isaiah, it speaks of death being swallowed up forever. And the Lord saying, I will raise my people from the dead. So maybe we read this and we say, well, what's going on here? Why is there death in this vision of new heavens and new earth? And the best answer I can give you is, I don't know. I've been talking about it. I've been studying it. I don't know for sure, but here's some possibilities of what's going on here. Right? One, I believe that the contrast um, is very important. And so again, we think about futility. And we think about what are things that just make us feel like life has no meaning, right? Life is full of despair. One of those things is when people die young, when we lose a child, right? When we lose an infant, right? Because in that, of course, any death we grieve, Right? But there's a a grieving of a lost future, of all the things you had hoped for, all the conversations you had hoped to have with that person, right? All the memories you had hoped to make with that person. And so you're grieving, and there's a special sense of, like, what matters, right? You really feel that dust in the wind sense, right, when in the the face of early death. And again, like I said, all death is tragic, no matter what the age. But we especially feel the enemy that death is, right, when someone dies young. And so I think it's contrasting that you feel this futility, but can you imagine like someone's 100 years old and they're just getting started, right? They're just beginning their life. Like, so it's almost kind of an easier image to grasp, right? I'm struck that sometimes when we try to grasp eternal life, which the promise is very clear in the scriptures of eternal life, right? Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death. We know that death is a defeated enemy, that one day will be gone forever. 
but it's sort of hard sometimes to get our minds around what is eternal life like, right? What does it mean to live forever? And I almost wonder if the Lord through Isaiah is sort of helping us get there. It's sort of like, okay, here's a place to start, right? Imagine, right, 100 years old as being like childhood. And that starts to give you a sense of what this new creation will be like. That starts to give you a sense of the eternal kingdom. So we have that continuity, right? We have that connection. And again, I think it's helping us get our mind around. This is what I'm looking forward to, right? These images help us to see, right, what's to come. And we see, again, differences, right? There's connection with creation now, but there are differences, and the biggest difference, right, that we can sort of, that sort of captures the, the, all that's here is this is a place of peace. This is a place of shalom. The new heavens and the new earth will be marked by shalom, right, which is not just an absence of violence, an absence of war, which it is that, but it is a harmony. It is things being made right. It is all the ways in which, right, we say that's not right, right? This shouldn't happen that way. This isn't good, right? This isn't the way things should be. All that is healed, right? And we experience, oh, this is the way things should be. This is peace. And so there's peace with God, first and foremost, right? They will be my people. They'll call on my name. I will answer them. It says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem, verse 19, and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Now, the Lord rejoices us, rejoices over us in our sinfulness, right? He is glad for us, even though we are sinful, right? And we fall into sin. I think probably all of us know, right, that feeling of giving in to temptation or sinning in some way and feeling that deep sense of disappointment and feeling that sense, right, my father loves me, right, and, and yet I've done this thing that sort of puts up a barrier in our relationship. Right? Last week, we heard from Isaiah 40, right? every mountain shall be made low, every valley raised up, right? It's a, it's a picture of repentance, right? When we turn away from sin, we're in a sense clearing the way for the Lord, right? But when we turn to sin, it harms our relationship. And I believe this is a picture, right? The Lord loves us fully right now. He loves us fully whether we sin or not, right? But we will experience the fullness of that love. We will experience that intimacy that right now sin disrupts, right? We will experience the fullness of drawing near to the Lord and know his drawing near to us. And so when we call on him now, he answers. But oftentimes, right, our our eyes are blinded, our ears are, are plugged up. And this will be a time where that will be opened up. There will be full harmony in our relationship with the Lord. And of course, our peace with God flows into then our peace with one another. And so we see that, right? No more cries of distress, right? No more weeping. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. In one sense, that's a picture of longevity, right? You will build a home and then you'll be able to live in it, right? You'll plant and you'll be able to eat it. You won't die, right, before those things are ready. But it's also a picture of an end of injustice, That's what happens when there's injustice, right? That's what happens when people fight and war with each other, right? That your labor often feels in vain because you invest in something and it's taken away from you unfairly, right? The tragic things happen. It ends, right? The passage ends. They will no longer hurt nor destroy. And oftentimes, sadly, we hurt and destroy one another, right? We turn against one another. So just as we experience in our liturgy, right? Peace with God, right? Confession, absolution, right? We're acknowledging the Lord has forgiven us. And then we say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And we respond and also with you saying, as we have peace with God, that flows into peace with one another. That brings peace into our community. That's a picture, right, of new creation. Peace with God, peace with one another. And it's just a picture of peace with creation. Again, we often feel the brokenness of creation. What a powerful picture we have in that, those final verses in 25. 
right? The wolf and the lamb grazing together instead of the wolf eating the lamb, right? The lion eating straw like the ox, right? Instead of the lion attacking its fellow creatures, they shall neither hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. So that, those, that, uh, those verses there in verse 25 actually come from Isaiah 11, right? So they're earlier in Isaiah. It's a callback, right? He's repeating something that's been said earlier. In Isaiah 11, a passage that we often read in this season as well, right, speaks of the root of Jesse coming, right, the Messiah, and it connects this peaceable kingdom, right, this promise of peace to the coming of the Messiah. And so in calling us back to that, right, Isaiah's making clear, the Lord's making clear in this passage, right, this is the Messiah's work. Right, the Lord is creating the new heavens and the new work. The Messiah is bringing this kingdom, which, of course, Jesus has brought and is bringing. So it ties into, again, the work of the root of Jesse, right? the one who came in the line of David. Right, now, what's interesting is in Isaiah 11, actually, the line, and dust shall be the serpent's food, that's not in Isaiah 11, right? but that is in the Bible much earlier, in Genesis 3, in the fall, when Adam and Eve give in to sin, and then they are told the consequences of their sin. And the serpent, right, who led them into temptation, is told, dust shall be your food. And if we jump from Genesis all the way up to Revelation, we read in Revelation, it speaks about the dragon. It speaks about Satan, the spiritual power, the spiritual bringing who, br who brings great destruction. And it calls him that ancient serpent. And so we know, right, that we are being reminded here. The serpents, you know, um, end is promised. Right? From the very beginning of scriptures, we are told, right, he, he will pay. His destructive power will, be, will come to an end. His defeat is guaranteed, right, was enacted at Jesus' death and resurrection, and the fullness of the defeat, his final removal is to come. Right? No longer will Satan bring destruction and division. Right? The Lord brings unity. The Lord builds community. Satan seeks to kill and destroy. And the promise here is his work will come to an end. So again, we have continuity, but a very significant difference in this new heavens and this new earth. So as we hold on to this vision, right, as we receive this promise of the age to come, what does it mean for us right now? How does that affect our life today? Right? Because clearly it does. It affected the people of God. When they heard it, it affects us now. And the first thing that we can say is, it's a bit of a cliche, but we can just say it, things will get better. There's a reason we repeat that to one another. There's a reason we say that because we need to hear it. Things will get better. But again, it is not a cliche here, right? It is a promise from Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth is saying, I create new heavens and new earth. This is a promise, right? I will do it. And oftentimes when we say to one another or when we hear people say to us, things will get better, usually it's kind of a temporary things will get better. And that can be encouraging, right? That can be helpful, right? Sometimes, you know, maybe we're sick, you know, and the doctor tells us, you're going to get better, right? And that's good to hear. Maybe we're in a season of grief and difficulty, right? And a counselor or a wise person says, my sense is things are going to get better, right? The sense of grief is really strong right now, but you will work through this, right? You have the strength to do it, right? Again, at different seasons, right? It's helpful to think things will get better, right? This is a hard season, Sometimes that's an important role that parents play for children, right? I've got a perspective that you don't have, and I can promise you things will get easier, things will get better. But the fact is, sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes the doctor doesn't say to us things will get better, but says to us things are going to get worse and worse. Sometimes our circumstances just get harder and harder. At that point, it actually may feel like a mean trick, right, when someone says things will get better. But not when the Lord says things will get better. 
When he says it, right, we know it'll happen, right? It may be a while, but things will get better. And that, again, affects our life right now, right? Certainly, it helps us live in anticipation, but knowing what's to come affects how we live at this moment. There's an illustration that Tim Keller, a well-known pastor who passed away last year, um, gives, where he talks about how, you know, if you have two people with the same job, and let's say it's a monotonous job, you know, like, you know, pounding nails into a, a board all day, um, and both two, these two people are given this job, and one is told, hey, you need to do this for a year. At the end of the year, you'll be given $20,000. And the other person is told, you need to do this for a year. and the end of the year, you'll be given $20 million. He says, you know, the same job day by day, but probably the attitude about the job is a little different, right? You could probably tell looking at the two people, one of those guys is getting something different than the other one, right? How they come to their work. And again, it's a great picture. That's true, right? When we have anticipation, when we know good is coming, it helps us deal with the, the seeming futility of the day-to-day. But there's a way in which, right, that um, a picture doesn't really capture our calling today. Because, you know, even as we say things will get better, we also say God is redeeming right now. What you do right now is meaningful. And that's why it's so important to note the continuity Again, if our vision for the future is God's destroying everything and starting totally new, then basically that's saying what you're doing now doesn't matter, right? You're just waiting, right? But the Lord actually says, in your waiting, I'm working. What you're doing now does matter. That your labor right now is not futile because, again, that new creation, the new heavens, that's redeemed creation. That's redeemed heavens. It's connected to what you do now. So in the book of 2 Corinthians, it talks about if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. You're still you, but when you come into Christ, right, you're a redeemed, renewed, forgiven, right? Saved you, but you're still you. And the same way, new creation is redeemed creation, right? That is to come. And so that again means our labor right now is not wasted, Sometimes we need faith, right, to believe that, because we may feel like, what am I doing that makes any difference? Again, whether it's prayer, whether it's building something, whether it's writing something, we may feel like, I just don't know how this will make any difference. But the Lord says, nothing you do is wasted, right? Our God is a God of redemption, right? He takes, right, the broken and he heals it, right? He builds it up, and we're part of that work of redemption, I want to read a quote from N.T. Wright. Um, I've read it probably a few times um, in sermons. It's just such a good quote. It's like a great song. You just want to hear it over and over again. And so I was like, ooh, I can read uh, one of my favorite quotes. It comes from the book Surprised by Hope, where he talks about, right, how this hope in the new heavens and the new earth and new creation affects our work now. He says this. He says, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown into the fire. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, kindness, every work of art or music, right? every way that God delights in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel and builds up the church, all of this will find its way through the resurrection power of God and the new creation that God will one day make. Again, maybe sometimes we just need to pray, Lord, give me faith that even now you're redeeming this work. What I do now 
matters, right, because of the new creation that's to come. And then finally, right, the, the kind of current way we can find hope that, that this vision, this truth comes against our um, lack of hope at times, our feeling of futility at times, right, is that this is God's work, not our work. Right? And that's so important. Right? Sometimes we may feel like, well, I can live in hope as long as I'm doing things to guarantee that hope. Right? As long as I'm making sure there's something hopeful to come, then I can live in hope. But the Lord makes it very clear, this is my work. Right? You can hope because what I am doing. And so it comes against any sense that we may have of, I got to make this happen. Right? Again, he's speaking this at first and foremost to people in exile. Right? They had, you know, experiencing the, the, all the detriments and all the consequences of their sin. And the Lord speaks to them and says, I'm going to create new heaven and new earth. It's not based on what you've done. You haven't earned this. This is something I'm doing. Think about the disciples uh, when Jesus uh, went to the cross and died. Right? Remember, he invites them to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. And he says to them multiple times, stay awake. Stay awake with me. And they keep falling asleep. Then Jesus is arrested. Most of them scatter, right? One of them denies that he even knows Jesus. And then Jesus dies and they hide away, right? And, and you know, afraid that they're going to be arrested as well. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, Peter Pan uh, and the, the play version of Peter Pan. And if you're familiar with it, um, there's a, a moment when Tinkerbell drinks poison that's meant for Peter Pan and she's dying. And Peter Pan says, what can we do? And then he turns to the audience and he says, you all have to clap to show that you believe in fairies. Uh, I've never seen it live, but I'm assuming the audience claps at that point, right? Sort of inviting them to participate. Show that you believe in fairies. And if you clap loud enough and show that you believe, then Tinkerbell will be healed, right? There's no moment like that in the resurrection of Jesus. And there's no moment where, where the disciples, right, are, are waiting and they say, if we just pray hard enough, Jesus will rise from the dead. Or if we just pray hard enough, right, he'll forgive us of our sins. Like God did it, right? They were hiding away, right? They were afraid. And God saved them and rose from the dead. In the same way, right, as we see this image, we may feel like, what do I have to do, right, to, to, to get that? What do I have to do to receive that someday? And the Lord says, just receive it. As the disciples received the resurrection, as they saw Jesus risen from the dead, right, that gave them hope. And then they went out and turned upside down the world. And we don't have to turn upside down the world, right? But we can go out and hope, right, in our day-to-day -day callings and the work we're called to do. And we can demonstrate, right? This is the hope, right, that's based in reality in the faithful one. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray in this season marked by waiting and marked by longing, even just in the darkness of the season, Lord, that we experience that you would continue to fill our hopes full of longing, our hopes full of the assurance of the dawn is coming, that there is a, a new, new creation that is on its way, and Lord, may um, we be um, beacons of your kingdom now. Lord, we pray that we would know hope, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of those we love, for the sake of those who are far from you. We do pray in this season, right, where we hear the word hope and peace and joy and love in a new and amplified way, that we would be witnesses to that. And we ask this, Lord, through the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.